As most of you know, we've been going through a series called Contending for the Presence of, of God Through Prayer, yeah? yeah? And it's been powerful. How many people have gotten something out of it? Yeah, okay, a few of you, that's good, that's good. Um, you know, Jody started out this series with a sermon called First Things First, and just really encouraging us to, to put God first in everything that we do and in our lives, and then she told us that it was okay to ask God, it's okay to ask Him anything we want, um, even when we doubt, even when we're fearful, even when we're mad, even when we're heartbroken, it's okay to ask God. And then Michael came and preached an amazing sermon about our children, about how much God loves children and how he's called us to love them and to cherish them and to teach them about Jesus, most importantly. And then what happened? What was next? Um, oh, Jody came back and taught us about practical spirituality and uh, praying those scary and sacred prayers, right? I thought that was really amazing. That was a really good way to, to take a look at some of those prayers. Ira came in and did an amazing sermon on the power of um, preparation, just letting God break up that fallow ground in our hearts. And then the last two weeks, Kelly came and, and slayed it. He, he talked about um, the power of God's presence and then contending for repentance. And what I really liked about him talking about repentance is that he reminded us that repentance isn't this thing where we have to walk in shame. You know, in religion, people teach us, oh man, shame on you, you know, you're bad, you're terrible. Hellfire and brimstone, no, God is waiting with open arms for us. And in case you didn't know that, it's true. He's always there waiting for us, you guys. He loves us that much. Repentance is just turning around, turning our minds to make a different decision, going back towards God, amen? That's all that repentance is. And when we do that, when we humble ourselves and we repent, God's arms are there. His forgiveness is there for us no matter what. And that was such a great reminder that Kelly, Kelly uh, made for us last week. So today, since it's been a time of teaching us how to contend for the presence of God, I'm going to take a few minutes today to talk about what happens when we contend for the presence of God. When I was just seeking the Lord and asking him, Lord, what do you want to speak to people today? This body, this particular house. Because don't you know he has good thoughts and he has a purpose and a plan for each of us? Do we know that? And he also has plans and things that he wants to speak to this particular campus, this particular day because that's how much he loves us. It's just not random with God. He has things of importance and of eternal value that he wants to speak. And so when I was asking him, he's like, you know, I really believe that sometimes people forget who they are. And in order for them to stand in the truth of who they are, they first have to know who I am. Isn't that true? If we know who God is, then we can turn around and say, okay, you are this, Lord. You are that. You have done this for me, and I can stand in the truth of confidence in who I am. So that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about today. I irreverently named this sermon, Who's Your Daddy? And Who Do You Think You Are? <laughs> Leave it to me. Anyways, but seriously, in all seriousness, you know, if we know who our dad is, if we really come to know who he is, then we can stand confidently in who we are. So let's pray before we get started. Oh, Father, we are so thankful today and grateful to be here in your house, Lord, and to be able to 
be together as a family, to walk together, to worship and praise you, to carry each other's burdens, to be there for each other in, through joyous times and through painful times. Lord, this is what you've called the body of Christ to, to do and, and for us to be. So we're thankful to be here today. Holy Spirit, I pray that it would be your words, not my own, that you would speak exactly what you want to speak to your people, the children that you love. And so we just give this time to you and we tell you that we love you. In the powerful, beautiful, precious name of Jesus, amen. So um, first service, we didn't have it, but I think we do now. So praise God. If you'll go with me to Ephesians 3, we're going to just look at a couple of verses today. Uh, the first one's going to be verse 12. And if you uh, have your Bibles, want to bring it out, you can, or you version, whatever is best for you. Okay, so here we go. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Isn't that encouraging? Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. You know, Hebrews 4.16 says pretty much the same thing. It says, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne room that we could obtain mercy and to find grace to help us in time of need. Isn't that beautiful? We can go boldly into God's presence. And when we have faith in him and call on him as our Lord and Savior, that's one of the cool things. We have that access to God. So most of us probably know, and if you don't, Paul, again, is writing to the church of Ephesus from prison. And he did a lot of his ministering from prison and in chains, but that didn't matter. God used him mightily anyways. And as he contended for the presence of God in, in that prison cell, God was able to use him and speak mightily to the people. So further down in, in uh, verses 18 and 19, in fact, I wanted to read the whole thing. It's so good, but you know, I, I want to make it somewhat short and concise so we can just really grasp these words. 18 and 19 says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's beautiful, isn't it? And that's what we're going to talk about today is our identity is complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God and from God alone. So one of the byproducts of contending for God's presence, of course, is getting to know him intimately. What his character is like, what his heart for us is like, what his thoughts about us are. And as parents, don't we do the same thing? We raise our children and as they get to know us, we put our moral and ethical standards, we raise them in those, and we imbue upon them our spiritual beliefs, don't we? Who we are. So for example, when we first moved here, uh, we had all these extra clothes, and so Doug and I would take our then three children down to the road home, and we probably about four or five years in a row, we took an annual trip down, down there, and that was just who God made us, you know? He, he gave us compassion, and so we wanted to teach that to our children. So we wanted to model that for them, compassion and looking out for the marginalized, um, those who are less fortunate, putting other people's needs first. And so in doing that, to show that, we've done that and, and we wanted to teach them to be humble and grateful at all times. 
So over the years, in hopefully modeling that the best we could with the power of, of Jesus, our prayer was that they would exhibit a similar character. Isn't that we want, what we want for our kids? We want to give them examples of how to walk in Christ, and our prayer is that they will follow that and that they will kind of take on that stamp, that character. Well, fast forward, and our older three kids, I love them so much, they are in their 20s now, and God saw fit in his love and his grace and his uh, goodness towards us to bring us precious, precocious little liberty. And the, see, the spread between liberty and our older kids is 14 to 20 years. So God just basically started us all over again, and it's been a blessing and uh, just the best experience of our lives. I'm trusting that God's going to keep me young, <laughs> praying. But I'll be honest, about a year ago, you know, we've raised her. She's seven. She's amazing. Um, I haven't been able to see that stamp as clearly. Um, and I went to God and I said, Lord, what, why am I not seeing that character of compassion, that character of humility, that ability to put others first, that ability to humble herself and say, I'm sorry. And it, it bothered me. And I'm not throwing her under the bus. This is just her personality. I mean, we all have kids like that, yeah? No, am I the only one? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, but what, what I realize is that God is far more capable than we are at shaping her heart, her character, and ultimately her life. So he has called us to contend for his presence so that we know that he is the one that's predestined her for the way he's going to shape her. He's the one that has her in his hands. It's not all about us. He's going to do the work that he began in her. And so that's really something that God showed me through raising our daughter is that I can't, I can't force her to be like me or to be what I think is wonderful in her character. He ultimately is going to be the one to do the work. Amen? And that's, and that's actually a relief because I'm flawed and I blow it all the time and I'm an imperfect parent, but he is not. He is the perfect parent. He is the perfect father. So, and that is how it is with God as it relates to us. His desire for each person is to have a deep and intimate relationship with him. So not only can we love him and worship him as he deserves, isn't he worthy of our worship? But when we know who he is, we can stand confidently in who we are. Our identity is meant to be in Jesus and Jesus alone, no matter who we are, no matter what we do, and no matter what people say and how they see us. But let's be honest, isn't that where the tension lies? That tension lies between believing the world or believing God. And where do we go to discern the truth? Where do we go? Right here, this book right here, these 66 books that compile this one beautiful book. It's a love letter from God, you guys. It's a love letter and it's an instruction manual for us to read and to hear him speak to us about who he is and ultimately who we are. So we're gonna do something a little different today. I hope you can bear with me. Um, we are going to read a scripture or two. I've, I've got a lot of them. And then I want you to listen. We're going to read some scriptures, and then I'm going to say, who are we in light of those scriptures? And we're going to do that for just a few minutes. So it's going to, we're going to answer that statement, who is God? 
and then I'm going to read the answer back, and who are we? And I really encourage you guys to put yourself in those verses and let the Holy Spirit speak to you, okay? Are you ready? All right, here we go. I'm going to... Okay, here we go. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Psalm 89.11 says, The heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. So who are we? We are all God's creation, made in his image, both male and female, and we belong to him. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 33.3. It says, Indeed, he loves his people. All his holy ones are in his hands. So who are we? We are his people whom he loves. We are in his hands. Get in the picture? Psalm 10.14. You are the helper of the fatherless. Psalm 68.5 says, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. So who does that make us? For those of us who are fatherless, he is our helper. He is our father. For those of us who are widows, we have a defender. Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. Woo! My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Who are we? We are safe and protected behind God as our rock, fortress, savior, and shield. Are you getting the picture? Isn't that cool to go back and put yourself in that scripture and read back who God is to us? Psalm 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Who are we? We are his sheep, his people whom he provides and cares for. And in him, our needs are met. In him, our needs are met. Isaiah 41.10, Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Who are we? We are his people who need not be afraid because he is with us. We are strengthened and helped by him, and he holds us up with his victorious right hand. Can I, can I get an amen for that? He holds us up with his victorious right hand. How many of us need that on a daily basis? I know I do. I need him to uphold me daily with his victorious right hand. It's so good to know that that's who he is for me and that's who he is for us. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Just take that in. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Woo. So who are we? 
We are the ones who God knew before he formed us in the womb and sanctified us before we were born. Isn't that beautiful? You guys, he knew us in the womb and he sanctified us before we were even born. That's how much he knows us. That's how much he has such great plans for us. And we are the ones who he has good plans for, a future and a hope. We are the ones who he listens to and he meets us when we look for him. God meets us when we look for him. He isn't hard to find. He's right there. He loves us. He's right there with just a, Jesus, I need you. Lord, however we we need to talk to God, he's always right there, ready to answer us, ready to love us, ready to be there for us. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So who are we? We are people who, because we follow Jesus, don't have to walk in darkness because we will have the light that leads to life. We need his light in our lives, don't we? Otherwise, we grope in the dark way too often. He is our light that leads to life. Philippians 1.6, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That's so encouraging, isn't it? He's not finished with us yet. He's not done with us yet. The thing that he started in you, the thing that he started in me, he's faithful to continue it and to complete it when he comes back. So let's say, who are we? We are God's workmanship, and he will finish the work that he began in us until it's finished when Jesus returns. Isn't that exciting? Got a few more here. Are you guys getting something out of this? Yeah, reading God's word and then going back and repeating who we are in light of that word. It's exciting. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I love that. So who are we? We are the ones for whom God works all things together for our good. Because not only do we love God, but we are called according to his purpose for us. Do you know that you're called according to his purpose? Do you know that he's called each and every one of you? He hasn't forgotten anybody in this room. He has a purpose and a plan and a destiny for every one of us. We may not know what that looks like yet, but he is very, very faithful to show us if we ask. One of my favorites. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. Amen. So who are we? We are God's people to whom he has not given a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Thank you, Lord. And the, the, reason, the reason why I, I, I give God glory and worship every time I read this is because at a particular time in my life, many, many, many years ago, I was at a just a difficult, weak, dark place. And I know we hear a lot of people talk about depression and that kind of thing. And uh, I was at a place where I was like, Lord, I don't even know if life's worth living. You know, I was, I was really down and depressed and I was just laying there in the dark and he, he gave me this scripture. And he's like, I have not given you a spirit of fear, Kule, 
but of power and of love and a sound mind. And when I read those words, power, love, and especially sound mind, it's like it just, you know, it just went right inside me. And the Holy Spirit just really just surrounded me and in my mind and my heart and my spirit. He just said, you have a sound mind in me. Don't forget that. And it really helped to heal my soul. And it's something that I use with so many people, you know, when they come to me with depression or mental illness or suicidal ideations. It's like, listen, this is not the Lord for you. He's got power, love, and a sound mind for us. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So are we getting the picture when we read the word of God and put ourselves back in it and we can repeat back who we are in light of who God is? But you guys, the world is going to tell us to find our identity in everything and everyone else but God. Isn't that true? Everyone else but the one who created us. He created us for life, for love, for joy, for laughter, for peace, for purpose, for freedom, for the destiny that he purposed for us. But not only do we tend to find our self-worth and identity in the obvious stuff, what's the obvious stuff? The way we look, our jobs, our wealth, or our lack of wealth, our education, or our lack of education, our houses, our cars, our clothes. And then there's other areas of identity that we, that we put ourselves in, like our familial identity, meaning, you know, I, what came to mind was like being a, being a Kennedy. You know what I mean? Like that's a pretty, that's a pretty strong and important name in, in history. And it's easy to find yourself caught up in that or any, any family of importance or even in loving your family. There's nothing wrong with loving the family that God gave you, right? I mean, it's okay to love being a pauper. Paupers are awesome. It's okay to love being a Kawamura. You know, God gives us those names as part of our identity, right? It's a part of our identity. We can find our identity in our racial, our ethnic, our cultural, even our national identity. And sometimes we find our identity in our physical fitness um, and oftentimes our sexuality. That's really big today and prominent that people are identifying and finding their identity in, in their sexuality. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes right now, but I, I think there's some of us that we can find our identity in our illness or our mental health diagnosis. And it's not like those things aren't real, but that's not where we want to find our identity in. We don't want to put ourselves saying, I am the one with this, or I have this. Not that you don't, but it's not where we root ourselves. That's where we root our self-worth in. Amen? And then there's, of course, the people who find their identity in uh, professional sports teams. (laughs) Chase, no, just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) It's not true. He's amazing. I just love, I just love seeing him in his, his, uh, his getup. I think it's great. That's not what it's called. What is it called? Jersey. <laughs> Sorry. Jersey, yeah. And no, I don't think he finds his identity in that. I was just teasing him. But um, in Saturday, yet, some of us find our identity in our political affiliation. And we won't go there. But Jesus was not a Democrat, nor was he a Republican. Amen? All right. So while all of these things are personal, professional, physical, socioeconomic, even religious and spiritual platforms, 
The world tells us as individuals, they go, 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 take hold of that. And we're praised when we stake a claim right there and we draw a line in the sand of who we are. The world wants us to do that because then we become factions and then we can be apart from one another and then we can be separate from one another and then we can just really make that about who we are. And like I said, while any one of those situations is real and is good and it's okay to have some of that identity, it all pales in comparison to finding our true identity in Jesus Christ. Amen? amen. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> so let's face it. Some of these things, people and ideas that we, that we find our hope in, they can be here one day and gone the next. They can be what seems like a solid foundation in our lives for a season. And then in an instant, they will bring us division. They can bring us pain and even betrayal. Isn't that true? Some of the things we put our, our hope in, some of the areas we put our identity in, they can be slashed, and it brings us so much pain. Proverbs 23.5, we'll just take the example of money. It says, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Oh, no one wants that, right? But what happens when our money does go away? When hap what happens when it does take wings and fly away? And for those of us who, you know, find our sort of our um, security or self-worth in that, where do we go then? Let's look at Job's life for a few minutes, shall we? And, and I know it's hard to look at Job's life. I know it's, for me anyway, every time I read it, it's unfathomable for me to think that one person could go through so much pain and so much loss in one day. But let's recap the story. So Job was um, one of the, well, he was the wealthiest, as the word says, and blessed man in his region, in that land. And God himself described him as this. He says, he is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. This is God talking about him. He fears God and stays away from evil. Who wants God to say that about you? I know I do. <laughs> oh, I'd love for God to say that about me. But Satan came along, you know? God's like, what you doing, Satan? He's like, I'm walking to and fro the earth, checking things out. And God says, well, what about my servant Job? Look at him. He's, he's integritous. He's blameless. He's upright. And Satan says to God, well, of course he is. He's blessed beyond belief. He's never had a day of, of you know, um, trial in his life. Nothing's hurt him. Of course he's all that in a bag of chips. He's like, okay, God, what if you allow me to, what if you touch him? What if you take away his things? I know he's going to curse you. And so God, God knew who he made Job, didn't he? Just like the word says, he predestined him to be the man that he was. So God in his sovereignty says to Satan, okay. So this is so hard for me to say because every time I read it, it hurts my heart. And one day he loses not only every worldly possession that he owns, all of his homes, all of his livestock, because back then that was where the wealth lied. Um, everyone in his household, he lost all 10 of his children in one fell swoop. And when he had, there were four different messengers that came right after one another to tell him this bit of news. And gosh, kind of feels like we've had that this weekend. There have been some families in our body that have had some really difficult, very uh, heart-wrenching news and uh, in one 24-hour period, there were families that were going through, going through it. 
And so he got all this news and he tore his clothes and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return, but I will worship God. How many of us can say that's what we would do? Let's be honest. How many of us would fall on the ground and say, I worship you, Lord? We hope that that's what we would do in the, when all was said and done, right? When we got through the shock of the loss and the pain and the grief. So Satan goes back to God. Another day, he's walking back and forth on the earth. Like, and that always cracks me up when I read that. He's going to and fro on the earth. And he says, well, if you touch his health, if you take away his health, that's it. So God gave him permission to take away his health. And he was struck with boils from the top of his head down to the soles of his feet. Again, unfathomable, right? And what did he do? He questioned God. He argued with God. He complained. He recounted the man he used to be. And he even cursed the day he was born. But he did not curse God. Because he knew that in spite of losing everything except for his very life, that God was the only place he could go. That he had nowhere else but God to go. And so somewhere in the next 38 chapters of, of Job, he had conversations with his friends, with God, and in contending for the presence of God, he was humbled, he repented, and was able to see with new eyes God's sovereignty, faithfulness, and goodness. And when all was said and done, you know, God remained faithful to Job. Do we know the end of that story? He not only restored God's family, he gave him back the, you know, nothing can, nothing can replace any children that we've lost. But God in his goodness gave him back seven sons and three daughters. And he doubled all of his livestock, all of his wealth. So I think he had like 7,000 sheep and he gave him 14,000. And he had, uh, I don't know, a thousand heads. Of, I don't know it completely, but he had a thousand cattle, and he gave him 2,000 cattle, 500 donkeys, 1,000 donkeys, because so, that's the goodness of God. And he gave him an extra 140 years to live his life. Isn't that cool? But here's the thing, you guys. A lot of people see the restoration piece of this story. God gave him back all the stuff. They see that as the yay, the yay, yay raw. Who says that? I love that. Yay raw, is that what we say? Hoorah, yeah, I love that. Um, but if you dig a little deeper, you get a glimpse of what's really important in this story. Job was a very blessed and upright man. He loved and praised God. But let's be honest, you guys. His identity, really, at that point in his life, was in his wealth, his children, his reputation with the people, and honestly, in the fact that people revered him because of his status, because of what he had. And isn't that the way the world goes? The more you have, people put you on a pedestal. They think that's what makes you great. So his identity for, for most of his life was in that. And how could your identity not be wrapped up in such an untainted life? But when the worst happened, Job, because of his faith in God, was able to come boldly and confidently into his presence. 
And like I said earlier, even though he fervently questioned God, he complained to God, and he even cursed the day he was born, he didn't curse God, and God did not turn away from Job. That's the beautiful part. Instead, the Lord in his goodness revealed more of who he was to Job as the one who created him and was still in control of everything, the tides, the moon, the stars, and even his life. And in the end, while God, bless you, while God revealed more of himself, more of his love to Job, he also revealed more of what he had in store for him. Because you guys, that's the beautiful, redemptive heart of God. Not to hurt us, not to point out our faults and our failures, but to love us. Job learned the essence of what the Lord spoke in Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. It says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise man boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. That they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. Isn't that encouraging, you guys? Isn't that encouraging? Because we don't have to boast in the stuff. Some of us have the stuff, some of us don't have the stuff, you know? The Lord, if anything, we boast in knowing who he is. And who he is is a father who loves us. Who he is is a father who gave his life, sent his son to give his life for us. And it takes us back to the second part of the scripture in Ephesians 3.18. This is what he wanted for Job and this is what he wants for us. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. It's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete. Your identity will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Amen? So that's it in a nutshell. Even though his love is too great for us to comprehend, he wants us to know that that's where his identity lies. It's in him and that we are made complete in him and in nothing else. How grateful, how many of you are grateful for a God who does that for us? Amen? Okay, while we close, before we close, I'm going to end today with just a few more scriptures. Okay? And then we'll, we'll pray. So this set of scriptures goes like this. Ephesians 1.4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. And John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So who are we? Who are you? Before God even created the world, he loved you and he chose you. You are blameless and without fault in his sight, and you are not under his wrath. If you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. Is that the most powerful thing that we can ever know? 
in this lifetime. 